Hey, we want to welcome everyone to another episode of You and the Law Podcast Show. We want to, we've got a, another great topic for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the weight of the badge. Uh, and so we're going to get into that conversation, but I need to introduce my co-host, the host of the show, I may say, who goes by the AKA of Chief Swag. What's going on, man? Man, not a whole lot. How you doing? Hey, man, let me, let me tell you something. You're looking pretty sorry tonight. Hey, man, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be like you, brother. Hey, hey, man, I got to congratulate you, man. My man, I'm so I'm so proud of you, man. You know, to the listeners out there, I don't know if y'all know my my man um, is, a, is, a, is, a new, is a new chief of a city in uh, uh, Minnesota. And so, uh, first African American chief. Well, thank you, thank you, brother. It's uh, it's definitely uh, uh, definitely an honor and definitely humble to but to God to bless me to be in the position that I'm in, and uh, as you stated, to be the first uh, black police chief for the city of Golden Valley, Minnesota. Well, hey, but you you, and and I'm leaving it to the listeners. Uh, I'm, I'm officially retiring from law enforcement uh, on the 20th of May, 34 well, years. Man, you, you know, the people in, in, in Little Rock is going to miss you, brother. They're going to miss you. Well, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss, uh, I'm going to miss them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so, so man, so, you know, I, I come to a new city and you're getting ready to uh, to to move on to some other some other opportunities in your career. I am man. God is God is good man. He's been good to both of us man. Yeah yeah. So so uh, so yeah man. So that's why I got on my purple. I got on my purple tonight man. You know man. I thought you was I thought you was an Omega man. I didn't know. <laughs> I was just about to get ready to light you up man. <laughs> uh, well, and you know what? I just thought about this. You know, I'm up here in the uh, uh, the, the area where Prince is so well known. You know, Paisley Park, and and uh, so you know, this this was a color I just picked out today. But uh, you know, up here is is purple. You look really good in a in royal blue and white, man. To the Sigma listening out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hey, man, you know, we're going to be talking about the weight of the badge. And, you know, Keith, I thought it would be a good topic to talk about because with so much is going on in policing and so many officers losing their life in the line of duty. And then you've got this other part of it is, is the badge too heavy for uh, for some in, for some people that get into policing because uh, they come in with this perception that you know they, they know they've got all this authority and power but somewhere during their policing career they uh, there is how they treat the citizens of the community that they're representing so uh, they become so much to where, they don't see the human side of, 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 of the citizens that they're protecting. Well, you know, it's, 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 um, that's been an issue, uh, through all my career. And, and I thought it was kind of getting a little bit better, but I will tell you, man, being on this front of the front line as a police executive, I, I still see that there are individuals that allow the badge to define them. And so it's, uh, not everybody can wear it. Uh, I don't think, I think there are people that believe it's a right and not a privilege. Mm -hmm. And they believe that that's the way they do the job by being so, so authoritative, authoritative that they're always right. So I do believe sometimes the badge is extremely heavy for some, yeah. not all, but some. Exactly, and 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 you know, and I think you know to have this conversation, we definitely gotta 
you know, that there are a lot of good men and women who are wearing the badge, who are doing everything that that they should be doing as a police officer in their community, whether you're a, a municipal police officer or sheriff deputy or a state trooper, that, you know, you're representing that badge with the honor that, that comes along with having that uh, privilege, uh, authority, you, you know, and don't want to use the word power because people get caught up into that power trip and, and the fact that they've got this so much power now that they can tell people what to do and what they cannot do. So, uh, you know, and again, well, Keith, let, I just, me, let me say this. If used improperly, authority can be power and power can be authority if used inappropriately. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, even, and I don't want to get into the politics side of, of things, Keith, but this just came to my mind as, as I'm sitting here, as we're having this conversation that um, you can see when people get that power, how it goes to another level with them. And and you see that in, in we're seeing that in politics and have seen that in the last couple of years with politics because of just how the country, people get that power now they want to use that power. And, and I think some of our, those members in law enforcement are dealing with some of those same things because as you know, we can go back to what happened with George Floyd, you know, even back with Michael Brown and, and so many other incidents that have happened. And now police officers feel like their city leaders don't support them. Uh, nobody understands them and they really focus so much on the the weight of the badge of what they have to get out here and do yeah there's a lot of things as you know that goes that comes along with being a police officer but Keith is it is it really to the point to where you have to separate yourself from from everybody else separate yourself hmm well, you still got to remember that you are a person. The, the badge shouldn't define you, but you do have a job to do. And you are hired to maintain peace and protect those that are not capable of protecting themselves. You're the you're hired to uphold the, the state laws, federal laws, if you're a federal, county laws or state laws. So you are, you are, you do have that authority. And one of the things that I always try to remind young officers is that, you know, when you start talking about authority, you realize that you have the right to take someone's freedom if you have probable cause, you have the right to search someone if you have probable cause up to the point of going into their home and searching it. And then, God forbid, you have the, you have the authority to take someone's life if, you, if, if the situation arises. That's a lot of authority, power. And so if you believe that in any of those situations you are above the law and you can do that without being questioned or having to justify that's where the problem comes comes in and and we have individuals that have done that for so long but as supervisors we know we have those individuals that have that potential and we don't address it in a lot of times because we want to be friends of those individuals. Yeah. Or we don't want the unions to be upset with us or come after us. Yeah. And so what we've done is we've empowered individuals to feel like feel that they're above the law. Yeah. 
exactly. And, and, and you know, uh, you know, for those who are just now tuning in to the podcast show, we definitely want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, you can, uh, if you got some questions or comments, you can ask those in the chat room. Uh, we'll see those comments or questions come up and we'll talk to you uh, and, uh, and, and have a conversation with you. But tonight we're talking about the weight of the badge and, and, and Keith, you know, uh, what is it? May the 21st, May the 15th through the 21st is National Police Week, uh, 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 where officers are remembered for losing their lives in the line of duty. And, and so that's going to be coming up, uh, what, next week? And so, uh, or, well, we no, got the next. No, it's next week. Yeah, next it's week. Next yeah. Week. Yeah. And, and so, and I think this is a, a conversation that, you know, kind of goes, it coincides with National Police Week when we talk about the, the weight of the badge. And people may say, well, what does the weight of the badge be? And I think it can mean a lot of, a lot of things, Keith. It can mean, you know, uh, some officers feel that, that the badge and is, 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 is heavy uh, because of the things that they have to, to do during a shift. Uh, for some, it can mean, you know, hey, I may not come back home to my family. So there's a lot of things that the weight of the badge uh, can, can re- you know, be related to. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, Virgil, you brought up a good point when you talked about the weight. You're right. There's a, it's a heavy load uh, in law enforcement these days because we're being pulled in so many directions. And we have so many responsibilities and you have a lot of individuals that are voluntarily uh, getting out of law enforcement whether it's they're they're resigning to go into private sector or they're retiring sooner than they normally would because of the because of the weight that's put on the shoulders of law enforcement so you have that aspect of it and then you have the other aspect of the individuals that they have it because they want they want that power. That, that power. They don't yeah. they don't respect the, the authority that they have. Uh, they they want the authority to respect them. Yeah, yeah. They you know, and that's a good point you make, Keith, is the fact that they want the citizens to res- respect them more than they're going to respect the citizens. Well, when you start when you start forgetting version and to the listeners that we exist as law enforcement officers because the citizens allow us to. Mm-hmm. And I, even with the the call to defund law enforcement, I still think there are individuals in our profession that forget that the citizens <laughs> at any given time can say, "I don't want. We don't want police department. We don't want police department." We want we want to defund it, and if, and if you don't have the funding, you can't exist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 I think a lot of officers need to realize the fact that, you know, what we do, Keith, and I talk about this a lot, is, is service. This is a service-oriented uh, profession. Uh, some people don't really look at it that way. Some people do, and some people don't. But it's, it it is really service-oriented. Uh, oriented and the fact that I think we've gotten away from that so the service that we provide and that is to protect and serve but also there's a lot of other things that come in the middle of that but I think officers get caught up into the fact that there's all these bad people out here I got to get all the bad people out, out out the street and then on the other side of that key you got officers who feel like just because they don't, they didn't come from that side of the city, that right. now I've been assigned to work over here, and it may, it may be a predominantly, you know, low class, where there's, you know, uh, housing developments there, projects. Not low class, not low class. Well, you know, low, I didn't, lower social economical yeah, yeah. community. And, yeah, but these guys feel like I've got to come into your where you live to deal with you and your problems. Well, what, what happens is uh, there are those police officers 
that have a that place people in a category. Yeah. And 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 I will tell you, man, there are police departments that believe you have to police a different way in certain areas than you do others. Yeah. Now those now those that that high level of respect comes from those individuals that live in for those individuals that live in a higher socioeconomic area. Yeah. The lack of respect comes for those individuals that may live in a lower socioeconomic area. Yeah. So do you have to do more heavy-handed police stuff in the lower socioeconomic and and not so heavy policing? And I will tell you, Virgin, that a lot of times where a person lives can become political. And so there, there are some some things that a person here gets a, a, a better service or extra service than the person who lives over here. Yeah. And, and, and so that's why there's so much of a disengagement between communities of color and law enforcement. I want to say this too. So there's a, there's a mayoral race going on in the city of Little Rock. And one of the candidates, not not the not the current mayor, because he's empathetic and he's got a good heart, but the but the other candidate has said that his main focus is going to be allowing police officers to do their job because they are too uh, based on 21st century policing and, and community policing. It has caused violence in the city. There are those individuals that believe. So he's trying to say that that's caused violence to increase. Yes, uh, because <laughs> we're not because we're not doing heavy-handed policing. Yeah. So this is the term you'll have. You allow the police to do the police to, to police. Yeah. And and so when you when you have that type of attitude. And it depends on who's in city leadership that does provide heaviness to the bad. And yeah. basically, I can do what I want to, and I'm covered. Yeah. Nobody's going to question what I'm doing. Yeah. So, you know, the government can play a role in the heavy-handed policing. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, Keith and. To, to to bring up something that you just talked about, where you've got a politic somebody who is trying to get into politics, who's not a politician, who really don't know a lot about city government, and and wants to say, I'm going to loosen some of the restrictions that have been put in place, that that's really um, uh, in line with 21st century community policing, in line with more diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, so when you've got cities who have said, hey, we want to get away from some traditional policing, which say like traffic stops, we want to get away from if you see a, a tag that's expired, uh, that's not uh, a reason to pull that vehicle over. So now you've got officers feeling like people that are in elected positions are are now telling the police what they can and cannot do. And so, and it's almost like, well, if you're, you're taking stuff away from us, but you got to realize, I mean, I think, you know, people need to understand that policing has changed. Uh, there are some things that you can do. I mean, even if you see a person with a headlight out, I think some agencies have said, you can't pull that person over. Well, you know, that person may not know that they have, they've got a headlight out or you've got, you know, keep, you've seen people where you may pull out of a convenience store and driving down the street. People haven't turned their headlights on. So they don't know that. So if an officer pulls them over and say, Hey, you know, you're driving without any headlights, you're, you're having a positive interaction with them versus you now all of a sudden I need to see your license, your insurance. What are you doing over here? Where are you going? Those kind of conversations. Well, it comes. It comes up with what's, what's your purpose? Yeah. Are you profiling? 
uh, are, are you doing, are you, do you actually have reasonable suspicion or probable cause, but are you just profiling because a person looks like they're out of place? And, and I don't think that, I don't think anyone in the community uh, doesn't understand the, the, the purpose of our job and that some of the, some of the, some of the best arrests or most effective arrests regarding individuals who may be on their way from committing a violent crime or leaving a violent crime uh, must be, you know, have been stopped based on traffic stuff yeah. with a headlight missing, um, you know, uh, no tail light, uh, um, invalid registration. And, and so I don't think people have a hard time understanding that or respecting that. But what is your purpose for stopping someone? And and so and so then we but when you have a leader of our country uh, and you have an attorney general in the last administration that tells you it's okay to put somebody in a police car and hit them, let them hit their head as you're putting them in the car. It's so the, the main focus is to get away from consent decrees. Then you're giving police officers that 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 badge that's heavy and say that we're above the law and we can do whatever we need to do to, to control crime in our country. And you know, one of the things I've always said is, I, I get it. We don't like violent crime, but we can't cut corners in enforcing it. And so you have to, so as a, as a police chief, you have to continue to ensure your people, show your people that there are innovative ways that are legal. That's why you can't fall into the same old thing over and over and over again. There are yeah. so many ways to do policing that are all within the guidelines of the laws. Yeah. Well, you're right. And I think, you know, again, you have to, you, you have people who don't fully understand policing. And so now all of a sudden there's this conversation going on around the country with, with, with local leaders that, hey, we want to change, we want to get away from this because what the main thing that they're thinking about, Keith, is if they're, if one of their officers pull a, a black person over, what are the chances that there may be an officer involved shooting? So you, you got people kind of thinking about something that you really can't control, but you know, at the same time, let's say if you don't stop that car and there's a person driving impaired, they cause an accident, kill somebody, and now somebody will say, well, there was a police officer who passed that car, but they didn't turn around and do anything. So again, you got to, you know, you use that term slippery slope, but you got to be aware of, of, of everything. But I think policing has become so, the spotlight has been so much on policing because of the actions of police officers. Like but up here. But, but Virgil, it still goes back to what are your intentions? And what is the environment of that law enforcement agency? Let's go back to, I think it was Cincinnati or Cleveland, but in in there, there, there was a policy that basically said you could utilize, um, you could utilize force if someone ran from you. I believe it was. I believe it was maybe Cleveland. That what does that what does that say? Yeah. Uh, you 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 you're giving those officers under policy. You're telling them you have freedom to use that type of force because they run with you. Because they we run. call that run from you. We call that POP pissed off the police yeah and so you can enforce a policy 
they start pissed off, pissing off the police because you ran from me, which interferes with my authority and show that you have no respect for my badge. I'm going to punish you for that. Yeah, yeah, and and that that is that is been the problem with policing over the decades. Uh, the fact that how dare you run from run from me, and the fact that when I catch you, I'm a, there's going to be a price that you're going to pay for for me chasing you. Uh, who do you think you Who do you think you are? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, hey Keith, I want to remind everybody if you're just now tuning into the podcast show, you're listening to You and the Law. Uh, tonight's topic is the weight of the badge. Uh, you know, join us. Uh, we got some people that are that are on listening and watching. So, if you got some questions, uh, comments about the topic, the weight of the badge, and uh, it doesn't have to pertain to the weight of the badge. If you've got something on your mind about policing in general, just uh, hit us up and uh, let, let let us talk with you. So, uh, Keith, you know, I'm, I'm a when we talk about the weight of the badge, uh, you know, over the past year or so, ever since things happened with George Floyd, and especially up in the area of Minneapolis, uh, where uh, officers that were involved with that directly or indirectly, there's been a large number of police officers going out on what's called, you know, PTSD. And and to the point to where it is it is really causing a lot of uh, staffing issues. So, and I'm gonna ask you this question. I think a lot of people hear that police officers see a lot of stuff, which is true. You, you, you go from a car accident to a domestic violence call to, you know, unfortunately, a parent may have killed their infant child. So there's a lot of things that you see. Keith, and I know you've been in law enforcement about as long as I have. You've seen a lot of things. And I don't think neither one of us have went through, you've seen traumatic things, but not to the point to where you use that as an excuse to get out of this profession because of something that your city government is doing that's putting some, I don't want to say restrictions, but putting in place some some uh, reforms within the police department. Well, I, I will tell you, Virgil, the, the, uh, can you hear me, Virgil? Yeah, I can hear you, yeah. So I, I'll tell you some of the things that, that concern me you have we have individuals uh, in our profession that literally suffer from uh, PTSD based on the fact of things that they've seen or that they've been through. You do have those individuals that play the game, uh, and when I say play the game, uh, they utilize it as an excuse to get away from uh, to get away with some of the things that they've done. Um, and then you have those individuals because they because they they really don't want to do the job, but they feel like they need to be compensated for it. I've I've seen individuals that have PTSD. I have. I've seen those individuals that suffer, and I've seen those individuals. I'm not a mental health professional, but I also have seen those individuals, Virgil, that uh, it appears uh, that they will use a make it an excuse so so you know and, and, and instead of it's 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 crazy that as police officers there are some of us that feel as though uh, people owe us the community owe us yeah I, I, I tell people this I volunteer for this job nobody made me do this job and yeah. so when you when you when you volunteer you ex, you, you you accept the first job and yeah. all that comes, all with, that comes with it yeah and, and if you feel that you can't do that then then you have to leave you have to leave uh, and and that's a that's the reputable thing to do but when you start making excuses uh, I had a young man Virgil that um, 
had been in the military, had done a couple of tours, and he came back to work, and he had some uh, issues with excessive force, mm-hmm. and um, he was referred to our wellness program, and he really stated that I need to resign because I'm broken, uh, and I recognize the fact that I am taking my problems out on the individuals that I come in contact with. I need to take care of myself before I can go out here and take care of others. I respect that. Yeah, that's but you yeah. Hear these, yeah, but you hear these individuals, man, that, that start making excuses. Uh, they've never, they've, they've, they've sit in the car, they've never encountered anything that, that might trigger, uh, on the job, they've never encountered anything that might trigger um, some type of PTSD. <coughs> yeah. But all of a sudden, they, oh my goodness, I, I need to take some time. I'm, I'm, and, and, and that's, that's really sad because you have those off, you have those individuals that are really suffering from it, that really uh, need some form of assistance. And so, you know, they make excuses because they want to continue to get paid or they're looking for ways to uh, get a retirement, you know, long-term disability or whatever. Yeah. That, that, that is very disappointing, but, but we see it. It, it happens. Yeah. Um, we don't like the way things are doing, so what I'm going to do, they feel as though uh, people owe them. Yeah. So I'm going to take it out on the city, and the city is going to pay me because the city has told me we want to change, or the police department has told us we want to we want to be guardians instead of um, warriors. I didn't sign up to be a guardian. I signed up to be a warrior, but they're taking that away from me. But I'll show them. <laughs> I'll show them, and they're going to have to pay me. I'm not going to do any work. I'm not going to do so. You know, it, 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 it's, it's an interesting concept, but we've, we've seen that first. Yeah, well, and you know, Keith, and I think, you know, the, the, the topic of what we're talking about tonight, the weight of the badge, it, it is a part of all of that. You know, when we talk about, you know, what's going on with PTSD, uh, how officers are utilizing or using that, which is a very serious um you know, some mental health issues are what they're suffering with. <clears throat> they found that now that there is an easy way out and that, hey, the city is going to pay me some money. Uh, I can sit at home and there's nothing wrong with them. But then you got to think about those who are really dealing with PTSD and they're showing up to work every single day, but they're uh, in private. They're, you know, going to some type of counseling or whatever it may be. But they're working through their problems. But you got people who <clears throat> want to use this, you know, hey, this is so heavy. I can't deal with it. Well, you knew that coming into this profession, key. This isn't something that just happened overnight. Well, you got to know coming into this profession, you're going to see a lot of things and you're going to encounter. Um, not to say, not to say you're going to stay, you're going to stay 20, 30 years of your career, but you know that this is a job where we see the best of the best and we see the worst of the worst. Uh, and so, um, and then some people say, well, they just can't quit. But my thing is, I'm not going to allow the job to affect my physical or emotional. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you what, Nikki. Nikki has a good point. Nikki said, "Do most uniformed officers set their sights on becoming detectives? If yes, does the journey make uniformed police cranky while they they await their goal?" So I think that's probably about fifty-fifty. Yeah. Um, you have officers that that's what they <coughs> want to do from day one. I mean, I have young men and young women that are interested in being law enforcement, and the first thing they ask. Well, can I go in to be a detective? Uh, I don't want to work the streets. I want to be a detective. But that's not going to happen. I mean, everyone, detectives have to be street officers. That's where you learn how, that's your foundation for moving up and becoming um, a, a, a detective. But you have individuals that understand you have to give, you have to be on probation. Depending on the policies of that department, you might have to work two or three years, four years on the street. 
before you can even qualify to be a detective. So you have those individuals that understand that they're patient, they wait their time. You have those individuals that want to rush through, rush, rush and, and become a detective. And you have individuals that they don't want to be detectives. They want to be patrol officers yeah. uh, for their entire career. So you do have those individuals that become impatient. Uh, you do have those individuals. But, and I think there's also a, a confusion in the community. Uh, you have individuals, citizens that believe detectives are higher than chiefs. Yeah. And I think, you know, we heard people say, well, you, 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 you didn't want to be a detective. That's because of what TV has portrayed. But detectives are very, very, um, 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 it's an accomplished position. Uh, not everyone can do it. Uh, detectives are uh, investigating crimes. Uh, they, they, they get all the pieces together. I mean, as a patrol officer, you can solve crimes also initially, but there are those crimes that when they go up to the detectives, uh, they have to find those extra pieces. So it is a very uh, amazing and, and rewarding position, but not everybody can do it or everybody wants to do it. And yeah. then you have those individuals that they get in there and, and they can't do it. Yeah. So so there are people, I think there people understand uh, the process and people are waiting to do that because yeah. I believe the longer you're on the street, the more effective you become as a detective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, Keith, I want to get to some of the comments that, that have came in. And we've got a, a person on, on LinkedIn who it doesn't show their name, but it just shows a uh, LinkedIn user that many use their power as as control. Many forget we are public servants. Uh, and then so let me get down to what um, uh, Jason Starr, uh, one of our former officers from uh, Tulsa Public Schools, he has to say, uh, <clears throat> you know, he wakes up every day and put the badge on to protect and serve. And I can't serve without the acceptance from the general public. For me, as the SRO, I serve students, and that that's a whole different type of serving serving that separates uh, the separate from the general public. Uh, you know, just like a patrol or or B cop. Not everybody, and Jason, I want to commend you. I was a school resource officer, and not everyone can do that job. Uh, yeah. It takes a special person. It takes a special person to do this, to be in this profession. But it takes a special, when you start going into specialized units like school resource, it takes a special person oh. to do that because everybody can't deal with, with kids. Um, you do have to realize uh, that kids are kids. Uh, you can't, you know, I, I was watching something earlier, I'm here in, in D.C. right now, and there was a story that came up about officers body slamming a seven-year-old. Uh, and so they're just individuals you don't want in the school. You yeah. know, that's why I'm glad that it's when I was uh, in Norman, when we had SRO vacancies, uh, not only were police supervisors involved in the interview process, we also brought in school administration, administration sit yeah. on those to sit on those interviews because yeah. it takes a special person to do that to do that job yeah it's it's not it's you know you can't be just about weekends off you yeah. can't be just about working overtime you have to really really authentically care uh about about those kids yeah yeah you definitely do and and you know and one of the things that you know, there's been so much conversation about taking police officers out of school, as you know, Keith, just because of that interaction that uh, school resource officers have with students. And, and this kind of goes back to the conversation where you've got some school administrators feel like that those police officers are there to do what they want them to do. And you become more of, hey, something that the administration should be dealing with now they want the police officers to deal with now you want to take handcuff these kids and take them to juvenile detention when it's something that should be handled internally uh and so keith i want to get to a question well a comment that veronica uh made and she said and no one questioned him 
on allowing police to do their job. Um, I don't. I, I may have to go back up to see, you know, if there was another comment about that, or maybe she was sent that comment when we were talking about something. But, uh, you know, Keith, I think, you know, just back on the school resource officers, you, you got to be special, like you said, to to work in that environment with students because you're building relationships with those kids. And, you know, you can be at that school for, you know, three years, and that's the entirety of kids from, you know, you know, from 10th grade, 11th and 12th. So you can have a very positive uh, influence in those students' life that they're going to remember. Let me ask you this, Virgil. You know, we talked about the weight of the badge, what this show's about. Do you believe the weight of the world falls, sometimes falls, or you can feel as though the weight of the world falls on the shoulders of police officers? And do you believe with that, that could be a reason why they feel as though uh, they have to do what's necessary uh, to control uh, situations because people believe that if we don't, we're not doing our job. So do you believe that that's a possibility, just the fact of we're asking, I said that earlier, that because yeah. we're asked to do so many things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's possible. But, you know, and I think Keith, and I, one of the things that, that I have seriously looked at and uh, where officers, they get into this profession not knowing, they've heard a lot about it. They get into it because, hey, their friends encourage them to do it. This is something that they always wanted to do. And they, they say that they want to serve their, their community. They get into it for the right reasons. Then some get into it for the wrong reasons. And then they get into the culture of policing where you've got their, what they go through the academy. Then they get assigned to an FTO. That FTO has a lot of bad feelings about the community, about the city leadership, about the police chief, about the supervisors. So now all of a sudden, this young rookie officer has been heard over the course of, you know, say, you know, three months of, or four months of FTO training, all these horrible things. Now, when he, he or she comes out of that training, now they've got this attitude that these people over here are, are just bad people. There's n nothing good in them. And so now they feel. Now, Diverge, you got to go back and put the fact of it matter is that let's start back before they got into the academy or when the field training. So then they also, and they might keep this in the back of their mind, they're hearing how bad the police department is or the police profession. So what they're going to do is they're going to go in, they're going to try to be open minded. So they go through the academy. Well, in the academy, you have instructors talking bad about the city, the city government, the job, and things like that. Now, fast forward, like you said, field training. They're sitting in that car with these with these field training officers, and that's all they do. They're picking up their habits. They're like sponges. They're absorbing everything. Now, fast forward, now they're going to these shifts, and these officers are openly talking about the local government, the police chief, supervisors, the community, and nobody from a supervisor or above, no sergeant or lieutenant ever controls that situation. Now, throw the union in the mix. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. So, so, so now we can't do our job. We can't put people in jail. This is why uh, the community is out of control because we can't do our job. So now you got these young, impressionable officers, okay? Mm hmm that are out here feeling like, man, I can't let these people get away with stuff. I gotta stop them. And that's the weight by of the bag. Yeah. By any means necessary. Yeah. Now let's go the other. Let's go to the other deal. So now I've got. I'm out here. People are asking me. I'm. I'm dealing with this person with mental illness. I'm dealing with this homeless person. The community is telling me I'm not doing my job because I can't put this homeless person in jail or I can't put this person with mental illness in jail. 
So now you've got this individual that's, that's living in a tent city, and there's nothing you can do because it's not against the law to be homeless. You know, and this person's on private property, and this the person that owns the private property is probably may have given this individual the right to be there. But you have these other citizens that are in the neighborhood that doesn't want that person there. But you can't do anything. And so, you know, and then um, you're called to, a person calls you because they have a leaky faucet. And and now there's nothing you can do. And then people are telling you, well, I'm paying your salary. Why can't you stop my leaky faucet? You know, why can't you do this? That's a lot of weight. Things coming at you like that and, and, and for a young officer you know it, it, it is it feels like man you know if I do this I'm down if I do if I down if I don't so it is a lot of it is a lot of pressure but I still say this you have to know right from wrong it, it doesn't matter what people are throwing at you you still have to know what you can do what you can't do that you can't be heavy handed that there's a time to utilize a certain amount of force, okay? And then there's a time to tell someone, I, I, I keep, there's, uh, there's not a law against this, but what we're going to do is we're going to help this individual by providing them resources or telling them where they can get resources to help them in their situation. Those are the things we're not, we're not in law enforcement, we're not providing that information to these officers. Uh, we're not, and so that's the thing that we have to realize. We've got to give officers an environment that they can be successful, whether yeah. it's you know emotionally, whatever. We have to. Yeah. So, Keith, let me ask you this question: <clears throat> Do you think the police industry itself has played a role with this? Weight of the badge being too heavy on some police officers. I think that I think that there are some organizations that have, but I think as a profession, I think we haven't done a good job uh, as explaining to or, or helping these young adults or these officers understand what our duties are. Um, we give them a gun, we give them a badge, okay. And we tell them to go out there and fight crime. By any means necessary, zero tolerance, war on crime. And you just give somebody a gun and a badge. So now what so now what you're telling this person, man, I'm in, I'm invincible. And, I, and yeah. I think a lot of it goes to training. Mm-hmm. Because when you continue to train officers or young officers to realize that, you know, help it to, to believe that they have to be in that warrior mentality, they don't know how to de-escalate that. Yeah. And so it yeah. comes down to, man, you better do what I tell you or, you know, and then, and then enforcing things that you can't enforce. So now I'm out here and I've told you that, you know, you can't be homeless. And then you, and then this person tells you, you, then you find out I can be homeless. I mean, it's not against the law to be homeless or be mentally ill. Yeah. So now you just made me look bad as a police officer. You just made me look, you just minimized my authority. So now I've got to get it back. So how do I get it back? I become heavy handed. Yeah. I curse at you. I grab you. Okay. I put you in the back of my patrol car. What else do I do? I put my knee on your neck. Yeah, I do that. Yeah. So, so you know, we we're not training our officers uh, in a lot of de- in some departments. We're not training them to be humble. Yeah, uh, to be guardians. Uh, and I say this, and I've said this once before, Virgil. Uh, th- there's a that you can be a guardian without being a warrior, and then, because a warrior always has that mind that 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 warrior mindset. You know, I gotta win. I gotta win. I gotta win. A guardian knows how to go from that guardian mindset to that protective mind, that that protective mindset to be able to escalate when I need to do it. But I do so in a professional way. I do so in a way that it doesn't mean that I violate someone's civil rights. That's what a guardian is. A warrior's, man, I got to do it by any means necessary. We don't do enough 
And so that's when the weight of the badge comes to the point of, man, I got this badge on. I got this piece of tin on, this piece of yes. tin that gives me the authority to beat you down, put, yeah. my, put my knee on, my, on your neck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, Keith, uh, Nikki asked the question, <clears throat> can local police forces lose federal funding for viol violation of rights? Yeah, um, I, I think people fail to realize that federal funding is a or normally grant position. So you have to apply for those for those grants. Um, there are things that can keep you from being awarded those those funds. Um, uh, so those funds aren't necessarily just automatically given to you. You have to apply for them, and there are certain guidelines you have to. Uh, there are some of those grants, Nikki. That, that outline that in order to be eligible for these grants, you have to have a wellness program, depending on what the grant is for. Yeah. You have to have de-escalation training. You have to have uh, cultural diversity training uh, in order to get these to get these grants. And so, yes, they can if you don't have certain things in place uh, to meet the guidelines of these uh, this fund. And, and I'll tell you, um, a lot of departments are losing certain funding uh, because they don't have uh, certain programs. Or the other thing, Nikki, is that when they were awarded those grants, uh, they didn't follow the guidelines of those grants because they're very they're very specific in um, in in, uh, in the effort to get those to get that that funding. Yeah. Well, you know, and Keith, uh, I mean, great question, Nikki. And uh, so you have agencies who they receive these grants. There are certain benchmarks that they are required to meet, how they report back, what they have done with that grant funding. Now, if it become known to, to DOJ, which primarily where a lot of the federal grants come from through the Department of Justice that they may come in and do an audit. They may determine that that agency is not meeting their expectations, the expectations that they even said that they were going to do. So they can lose lose those funding and up to the point where they may not be able that the police department and city may not be able to apply for grants for a certain a period of time. So you know, there are some accountabilities in place. There are some, you know, some things that happen for agencies who uh, do violate certain things where they cannot receive certain funds that are coming from the federal side of, of for policing. Hey, hey, Nikki, and there, there are also grants out there to help uh, police <clears throat> departments um, minimize the possibility of violating individual civil rights. There's training out there. There's so much free training out there uh, for so many different areas of law enforcement. Uh, let's be honest, there, there is really no reason for any police department, any sheriff's department, any federal agency, any state law enforcement agency to violate anybody's rights. There, there's, there is no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, no matter what the person has done, no matter what that person's <laughs> reputation is, there's no reason to uh, to violate someone's rights. Uh, that's why you have police departments that are under consent decrees based on poor performance and historical uh, issues related to violation civil of rights. civil rights yeah. and things like that. So that was a very good question. Yeah. Well, hey, Keith, it, it, you know, uh, coming up on the last few minutes of the, <clears throat> of the podcast show, and we definitely want to thank everybody for it taking the time to tune in to another episode of you and the law uh, i want to go back to you know our topic is the weight of the badge um it can be heavy uh, because of the things that you have to do uh you know i don't know if you saw this on the news recently but uh, uh it occurred in tennessee where a state trooper uh had to open up you know uh, fired upon a vehicle that uh, think the person in the vehicle was involved in some type of uh, armed robbery and there was people's life were in danger so he had to you know use deadly force and, and ultimately you know took the life of that person so 
people got to realize that when those traumatic, when those things happen, there's a lot that police officers deal with. They, yeah, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot of weight. Right yeah, that's a lot of weight. And so some, uh, some, uh, some men and women, they are able to departmentalize some things to where they're able to deal with it without seeking any kind of uh, outside resources. Uh, and they go on about their job. No, there's no way that you can do that. No, uh, you, you, without, but, yeah, there's no way. I don't. I don't care how strong you are, how big, strong, how smart you think you are, how emotionally strong you think you are. You will never be able to deal with that on your own. You may yeah, think you are, right. you can, but you cannot. There's yeah. not a person that can do that. They'll say they can. No, there's not. But but Virgil. And what happens, Keith, is... Go ahead. We got a comment. Let's see. Yeah, Nikki, Nikki, Nikki wants to hear about your 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 new your new gig, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, tell, tell the listeners about your new gig, man. Yeah, so we, we got a couple of minutes. So, Nikki, thanks for the question. She says, Chief Green, please say a few words about your recent blessing before you leave. So, to everybody out there that's listening and will listen to the show... Uh, several months ago, back in October, I was going through a national uh, search for a, a chief's position where I applied in, uh, for the city of Golden Valley, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. Um, that process uh, brought me to be where I became one of the three finalists. Uh, then I became one of the two finalists. And, uh, and ultimately, I was offered the position to, be, to become the uh, police chief in the city of Golden Valley, Minnesota. And uh, I'm, Keith, and as you know, I'm very humbled by it because it, it comes with uh, something that has never occurred in this uh, city, in this department, where I, I'm the first African-American uh, police chief um, uh, in the history of this agency. So uh, very thankful for that. Uh, and I, I must let you and our listeners know that you know, I've got an assistant police chief. Uh, her name is uh, Alice White, and she is a former Minneapolis uh, police officer. She, he, uh, before I became uh, the the chief, uh, and I just and I started on Monday. She um, was the first black female in the in the history of Minnesota to hold the rank of acting police chief. Now she how, how do you know how do you know she wanted you to give her name, man? Did you get did you did you sign a waiver to give her name, man? Well, you know, we're gonna have her on as a guest because she has a documentary out there that uh, that has made her pretty well known. So uh, we're going to have her on on the podcast as a guest, but she's an amazing uh, young lady. And uh, but she is also, uh, you know, a first in, in her role as being an African-American. So, uh, you know, let me. So so Nikki, definitely thank you for for uh, for your comments. And Jay Hill, uh, I knew it, but congratulations. Thank you, Jay. So again, you know, uh, it, it gets cold up here, and a lot of people say, "Man, why would you want to go to Minnesota?" Uh, but it was a great opportunity, and as as you know, Keith, um, we often don't get these these opportunities, and just to be in this position is is, is very uh, rewarding. Well, you know what, you're gonna be okay up there, man, because you got hair on your back, so it, you know it looks like a fur coat. <laughs> Really? You're gonna be fine, man. Yeah, really? you're gonna be fine, man. Yeah, man. You got yeah, man. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. You you part, you part Sasquatch or whatever. Hey, yeah. hey, man. Hey, you part I, Yeti, I got, man. No, I, I I'm uh, I'm part Cherokee. I got Cherokee blood in me, man. <laughs> uh well hey, hey man, we wanna thank everybody for Definitely tuning in to another episode of the podcast show. Nikki, thank you. Jay, thank you. Jason, uh, Candy, thank you. And and so many others. Veronica, who, 
you got to say, yeah, Veronica. Thinking of Veronica. Yeah, Veronica. Thank you for for taking the time to to uh, to, to follow us and uh, uh, to listen to what we have to talk about it. And hopefully, this has been another great topic of, of talking about the weight of the badge. And and hopefully, uh, this information has been. Uh, uh, uh.